0: To the phone lines. And by the way, Janie's uh, joined down there at the bottom of the board. So, uh, Leo's first. Good morning, Leo.
1: Good morning, Bob.
0: Good morning, sir. I have
1: I um, have mostly raised gardens, and um, I started tilling the soil um, this a few days ago, and I'm seeing a lot of worms, uh, and I think they're called grub worms.
0: Well, the grub worms are yeah, they're curled. They're kind of white with a gray abdomen and a brown head.
1: Yes, uh-huh. but okay. they're pretty large. Uh, diameter maybe an inch and a half, two inches.
0: Wow! Yeah, that's pretty uh, good size.
1: Do I have to get rid of them, or do I leave them alone, or
0: what do I do? They are not at a feeding stage. They are just waiting to turn into beetles. Uh, those are probably the longhorn beetles, or one of the bigger beetles. Are probably not the regular grub worm, but uh, they did all their feeding any damage that they were going to do they did when they were much smaller so i would just tend to ignore them i mean i yeah. now i usually in my garden i put out some beneficial nematodes uh, both in the spring and the fall to take care of damaging grubs to take care of fire ants to take care of wireworms, things like that so if you want to put out some beneficial nematodes that will control any of them, especially the smaller sizes. Once you get up to that monster size, the nematodes take a long time to really affect them, but I'm sure not going to lose any sleep over it, and I'm not going to take any extreme measures trying to get rid of them. They make pretty good fish bait, I'll tell you that, but uh, who has... What I, that's what I was thinking about, <laughs> yeah. i still no
1: and I do a lot of fishing.
0: Well, yeah. many years ago at a much younger age, I once caught a heck of a mess of crappie on <laughs> worms, and my grandfather it couldn't is, believe it, but he still uh, thoroughly enjoyed them.
1: Yeah, Well, I'm utilizing coffee grounds in my soil mixture. Does that have, play a role in it or not?
0: Not in the grub worms. It does in the earthworms. Earthworms love coffee grounds, but the grubs, yeah. uh, that just happens to be. That particular grub feeds on decaying organic material. Most commonplace we find those things are uh, uh, in the compost pile. But they're longhorn beetles. They're rhinoceros beetles. Uh, if you see the adult stage around, they're they're fascinating things. In fact, some of the scientific companies used to pay kids two or three bucks a piece for the bigger beetles because they use them, uh, you know, teaching kids a lot about insect anatomy and things like that. So uh, enjoy them. Don't feel like you have to get rid of.
1: Them. Yeah. Okay, one more question. Yeah. Um, I have weed uh, a granulated weed killer. Can I mix in that with my soil mixture, or is that going to affect my plants?
0: I'm afraid it would affect your vegetables. What what type oh, of okay. weed killer is it?
1: I don't know. It's a granulated, and I.
0: Wait, what do you know? What the company product. name? You know what the is it like?
1: No, a, not offhand. I have. I bought a big quantity, very inexpensive, and I, I just have it there. And I'm just wondering.
0: I sure wouldn't. Good. I sure wouldn't put it in my vegetable or flower beds.
1: Okay. Sounds good. I took the
0: Enjoy my, the my pleasure, Leo. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Goodbye. Okay. All right. Jan's up next, then Judy and Janie. Good morning, Jan.
2: Good morning, Bob. Good morning. question. Okay. Uh, I, I have a variegated pithosporum that I just planted last year. It's about 18 inches tall. Okay. And I want to train it uh, where it's full at the top but not so leafy at the bottom. Okay. I want to say something like a big bonsai. Sure. But how? Do, when do I start cutting those bottom, and how do I do that? Well, so that it will flare at the top.
0: I would, you know, it's normally, it's it's a normal thing for a pitasporum just to get fuller and thicker the further up the plant you go. Once it has established, I, you're not going to want a single trunk unless you're going to put it in a pot and really grow it as real bonsai. You're going to want it no. to have three or four or five trunks and as long as it is doing that you can start trimming off that little side growth anytime you want now keep in mind that everywhere you've got a leaf you have uh you know a little sugar factory pumping nutrient back into the plant so what i would tend to do would be same thing i do with the shade tree i wouldn't necessarily take those little side sprouts all the way off but i keep trimming them so they don't turn into major limbs because they're gonna they're gonna make that lower part of the plant stronger and i'm gonna wait until it gets to be five or six feet tall before i cut those little side limbs all the way off but i'd start today to you know keep pruning them back so they don't make major limbs, and just uh, start, you know, start giving it a little bit of training now. Select the five or six trunks that you wanted to have long-term, and uh, don't let anything else get real big.
2: Okay, that's good. Thank you.
0: I've got a green swarm outside my back door that basically is that way, and it's a lot older than I am. It's probably been there 70 or 80 years but uh, it, it's made a beautiful tree down at the base. It's probably 24 inches across the base, or at least 18. It's about oh. 8 or 10 feet tall and 8 or 10 feet wide. So uh, I look forward to hearing about how your variegated pit develops.
2: Okay. I, I will let you know. Um, I know that you've mentioned two types of St. Augustine that are best for our area. I'm in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got to replace some of my lawns. So, and i couldn't remember i wrote them down i couldn't,
0: no, I couldn't <laughs> now you don't know but, where they uh, are
2: what were the two types could you tell me again
0: well the two that i talk about most commonly are for shadier areas and uh okay. those two are palmetto and delmar now in a bright sunny area my favorite saint augustine is still floratam it's uh the mm-hmm. most drought tolerant it's the most sun tolerant it's uh it's just a really tough St. Augustine, but it's more for a, s- a sunny area. It was developed jointly by Texas A&M and the University of Florida, which is obviously where the name Floratam comes from. But shadier areas, my two favorites are uh, Del Mar and Palmetto.
2: Okay, this is a sunny area, okay. so I'm going to go with the Floratam.
0: Yeah, Floratam's going to be a better choice for you.
2: Okay, now then, uh, I have a purple fountain grass plant that's been beautiful, for about three years. Now, my yard person, uh, right after the first freeze that we had, I believe the latter part of November, um, he cut it down to about eight inches of the ground. And now I, I don't see any part of it coming back.
0: After three years, Jan, it's probably time for a new plant. Um, oh. Purple fountain grass is not a permanent plant up, and you go as far as North Texas, uh, they grow it as an annual grass up there. And oh. what happens is, after two or three years, it's just you've got a totally dead center, and all of your growth is toward the outside edges. Now, if you want to leave it a little longer, you certainly can but i can almost promise you that whatever growth comes out is going to be toward the outside edge you're going to have a big clump of just dead grass in the center so um in any event even if it comes out i'm going to dig it up i'm going to chop that dead center out and i'm going to replant it as three or four smaller pieces but uh honestly after three years purple pine fountain, fountain grass isn't very expensive in fact, there's a new variety out called fireworks that actually has a lot of pink along with the purple that if you just want something even more colorful look at look for the fireworks fountain grass it's a it's a great new one
2: okay, great, okay, but you said that I could use that old plant and just take some pieces of it
0: probably so um you know, again, we're still we're going to be chilly tonight. It's going to be in the low 40s in San Antonio. Oh, yeah. um, so I'm probably going to wait till next week to do it. I'm okay. not at all certain that it's not going to come back out on its own, I would probably leave it for another week or two, but then I would dig it up, and you're just going to find that you just literally break the sitter out of it. You're probably going to cut it in four pieces, and then you're just going to plant, just like you do a Boston fern, you're just going to plant that outermost part that is alive and vigorous.
2: Okay, well I'm going to look for the fireworks, but i to try that and see, see if the other works.
0: But it's it's that, a little early on purple fountain grass. There's not a lot of it in the market yet. Normally, the growers um, have it by the thousands of pots, but uh, I'm just seeing a handful of growers that have any any of it at all yet, so don't be too impatient.
2: Okay. Um, now, my last question. I have a lot of Nandinas, and they're making those little sprouts that I've never seen before in all the years I've had Nandinas, but... This year, I just have thousands of little sprouts. Now, should I try to get those little sprouts out, or will they make will they make bigger nandinas? They, they
0: they certainly will. How close to the oh. base of the plant are these little sprouts?
2: Well, they're all over the place. Uh, they're you know as much as three or four feet out.
0: Oh yeah, I very definitely would get rid of those. Get them I'm, out. Yeah, I'd I get them out. Um, it's unusual. A lot of our old fashioned Nandinas would do that and, uh, they get almost invasive. Most of the modern varieties don't have nearly as much of a problem, but I just, I'd probably be taking, uh, my sharpshooter, my, uh, long bladed shovel, and I'm just going to go all the way around the plant and, you know, poke it down in the ground, just sever any underground, uh, shoots that are coming out that are more than, you know, uh, six or eight inches away from the base of the big yeah. plant. I want to see some new growth coming out, but I sure don't want it sprouting up all over the flower bed.
2: Yeah, I know. Okay, well, Bob, those are my questions. I appreciate your help.
0: Good questions as always, Jen. You get out and have Thank a good you. weekend.
2: Thanks a bunch. Thank
0: mm-hmm. you. Bye-bye. Bye. So, uh So Judy's next. Good morning, Judy. Good
3: morning, Bob. Good morning. I have a couple questions. First okay. I bought some lava sand. Uh-huh. I couldn't figure out how much should I put in. I really bought it to put in the garden to hold the moisture a little bit.
0: I would put just a thin layer, about the thinnest layer you can manage, say an eighth of an inch or something like that. It won't hurt to go up. I mean, you could put it an inch deep and then work it in. When you go to the Hawaiian Islands where things grow like weeds, uh, they're basically growing in pure lava sand. So there's no such thing as too much. But you'll start getting benefits if you start out with as little as an eighth of an inch.
3: So
0: what if I put it on the on the other stuff? It's again, it has a number of different good qualities. It helps with what we call cation exchange, which means it helps make nutrients available to your plants. Uh, Remember that moisture never causes a problem, but when we get so much moisture that drives the oxygen out, that is the problem. So I don't think you ever have to worry about overdoing lava. As a matter of fact, some of the houseplants that come to us actually are shipped from Hawaii, and they are growing in pure lava, nothing else at all. So um, you add as much as you would like, and you will increase the moisture level without running the danger of having things stay too wet.
3: Oh, okay. Well, this is the first time for lava sand. I have another question. Okay. I'm I'm pretty sure one died, and the other one is really slow to pop out. So. Is this
0: pretty typical? And what I mean, what kind of tree?
3: Fig.
0: Fig trees. Um, figs are moisture-loving plants. We have been very, very dry. When we have a combination of a really dry winter and a couple of hard freezes, yes, it makes them slow to come out. Um newly planted figs I've actually seen die if they went through a really dry winter. If these are old, established plants, they should come back out. But fig trees, uh, they just need a lot more water than Mother Nature's been providing. So I suspect they've probably got a little dry over the winter months.
3: Oh, I guess that's a possibility, but I thought we watered them. But anyway...
0: But they should come back out. It's it's rare. We certainly haven't had enough. We've had enough cold to damage them a little bit, but figs tend to grow right back out. But the drought is real hard on the figs this year.
3: Okay. One other question. On the grass, we have a lot of sun in the summertime. It's not a large area. Uh-huh. But then in the wintertime, it's pretty much shade. So would, which of the St. Augustines would be better? The Probably the
0: Palmetto. I would go Palmetto or Del Mar. Those would be my two choices. Okay. All right.
3: Well, thank you, and I'm so glad
0: you're there. Well, it is my great pleasure to be here, Judy. You get out and have a wonderful weekend, and I'll look forward to visiting with you again. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you. <laughs> Bye. All right. Janie's turn now. Good morning, Janie.
4: Good morning, Bob.
0: Good morning. I know that voice of an old friend. How are you doing?
4: Just fine. Uh, listen I have this orchid it's it's an orchid bush uh-huh. okay and I know you got one in your place a white one mine is a purple one or whatever color and uh, the thing is that it has a few flowers but it's gotten so high I want to cut it down low okay but I'm, I know that I have to wait until the flowers stop bloom it
0: well right. you don't have to but why waste the flowers those flowers are absolutely beautiful so enjoy the flowers it's not really going to start putting on new growth until it finishes that bloom cycle so if you want to cut it down now you can do that but if it we're mine i'd enjoy the flowers for another couple of weeks and then cut it back
4: okay uh when i uh they stop blooming uh, I want to cut it down real low because it's higher than four feet. Okay. Uh, I want to cut it down real low, about three feet down. Can I do that?
0: You can. I well, I'd I'd leave it eighteen inches tall. I wouldn't cut it lower than eighteen inches.
4: No, no, it's foot. They're foot. It's it's about four foot high. Yeah.
0: No, you but, can you can cut it back about two thirds of the way.
4: Okay. Now you said something that it's going to be kind of cold in the morning Mm -hmm. i've got some desert uh plant
0: desert rose
4: outside uh
0: desert Desert. rose
4: yes desert
0: rose yeah
4: and i i've been i put them out since last week
0: Uh uh-huh
4: getting to be where you're saying it's getting too cold is it gonna hurt them
0: it might I hate to tell you that, but they really ought to come in tonight. I hope they can stay out afterwards, but Desert Rose doesn't really like it below 60 degrees. And last I saw, they're saying maybe 40, 44, 45. Your Desert Rose would really prefer to be inside tonight.
4: I've been bringing those things in and out so much. <laughs>
0: It's giving you your exercise, but yeah, it's just, you know, it's the it's, old-timers used to always tell me, don't put things out until after Easter, and Easter, as you know, is very late this year. It's a week from tomorrow, but uh, I'm afraid I'd bring my desert rose in tonight. They'll certainly reward you for it. Well,
4: uh, they're pretty tall, and I sure hate to see them loose because yeah. they're, they're beautiful. i got one pink and one red, so...
0: Yep. Well, yeah. it's worth the effort, Janie.
4: Okay, then I guess I have to bring them in. I just <laughs> that the sun is so pretty that I think it's so it's just so pretty the sun when it comes out. Oh
0: yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. But uh, uh, I don't want to I don't want to see things uh, shrivel. But it uh, uh, get them inside. It's almost time for them to start blooming, and uh, they'll certainly be worth the effort.
4: And I guess I will bring them
0: in, and I appreciate your help. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you, Janie. Good morning, Paul.
5: Hey, uh, I live in uh, Canyon Lake, and I had some landscape done. Um, I had some crepe myrtles put in. Okay, uh, one is a hot pink, and it's doing really well. It's about eight feet tall. It's uh, they've been put they were put in about four weeks ago. All right. So the hot the hot pink one is uh, got lots of leaves on it. I've been pruning the suckers that are coming out at the the roots. Uh huh. Um, My purple one, all I have is suckers at the roots. None of my upper foliage is popping out. When I scratch the bark, it's still green in there. Okay. My landscaper says, wait, it's going to get leaves up top. I don't know if it's going to do that.
0: Well, cut the top back slightly. How how tall is this plant now?
5: It's Probably about
0: 8 to 10 feet. Okay. Take about a foot off the top of it. That will concentrate the hormone that's rising up through the stems. If anything will make it break and start leafing out up above, Uh, it certainly will. I would be a little concerned if it is not putting on growth up there. But if the stems are still supple and green, cutting it back is your best way of stimulating uh, those buds to break up top.
5: Okay, so trim back all the top branches, bring yeah. them in a foot, and that yeah. should. Okay. That. And then,
0: yeah, and if they haven't leafed out in two or three weeks, then talk to that landscaper and say, "Hey, this tree had a problem to begin with, and I want a new one."
5: Okay, and then southern magnolias in the hill country—do they do all right?
0: Not very well. um no. If you have really deep soil, and if you're going to grow a southern magnolia. Actually, a better variety is called Little Jim. It uh, has the same flowers. It's just slightly smaller leaves and slightly smaller blooms but it doesn't have quite such an expansive root system so doesn't hate our caliche quite as much but uh, if you're going to plant a magnolia of any of the evergreen magnolias choose the area of deepest soil do not ever take the lower limbs off of it a magnolia that's healthy will have limbs practically touching the ground because they shade the soil they keep it cool they let those uh, let the mulch sort of build up around them and if you just have have to have one and if you're an area in deeper soil uh you can go for it but boy if you're in shallow soil uh not likely to do well for you
5: yeah my wife told the landscaper to put one in it's probably 12 feet tall it does have the foliage all the way to the bottom Mm -hmm. and i did plant it on the downward slope of the the property where there is probably 10 to 12 inches of you know not rock
0: so well it wishes there were 10 to 12 feet keep a heavy layer of mulch get a good living mulch and keep uh keep that mulch two or three deep over maybe from the trunk out about four feet all the way around uh if anything that will be one of the most important things you can do for it maybe add a little magic sand or green sand periodically and we'll keep our fingers crossed
5: excellent hey uh one quick question kohlrabis and cabbages in the garden if i planted seeds Two weeks ago, is that it's going to get too hot, and those are probably going to end up getting baked off before I ever see any produce.
0: Unfortunately, probably so. Kohlrabi and cabbage and broccoli and Brussels sprouts, that whole kohl family, are much better planted in the fall or very early spring. I mean, uh, the cabbage, uh, not much chance at all. Kohlrabi... Oh man, I wish I wish we'd had this conversation six months ago. Uh, I probably I, I wouldn't give any hope for the cabbage kohlrabi. Robbie, leave it in. You'll probably get some production. They just won't be nearly as big as what you're used to. But put on your calendar to do this in cool weather next year, and you'll have much better success.
5: Yeah, I'm very new to uh, Texas, and you provide a great service. You're you're a wealth of information. I really appreciate you.
0: Well, life. I've made every mistake you can make. If you're ever over in the neighborhood of our nursery, which is over on Sunset Road, called Shades of Green, stop by and let us give you a free copy of our planting dates. It's a little just front and back sheet that tells you a lot about vegetables here, but it'll tell you the dates we recommend for both spring and fall planting. And uh, love to give you one.
5: Excellent. I really appreciate that, Bob.
0: My pleasure, Paul. I appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay, Pete is up next. Uh, good morning, Pete. Morning. Morning, sir. How you doing? I'm great. How about you? Uh,
6: I had one cup of coffee. so I was gonna make,
0: <laughs> Well, that's one more than me, so you're ahead.
6: Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> orange oil. Yes, sir. Uh, for, for a cleaner. Uh-huh. Uh, how much?
0: Are you using you the concentrate, uh, Medina, or one of the good concentrates? Yes, yes. Uh, as a countertop cleaner, if I've got a quart sprayer, I'm going to put uh, one to two teaspoons in there. Uh, if I'm cleaning my floors, I'm going to go slightly stronger than that. But recognize that orange oil is such a good solvent, such a good cleaner, uh, it can actually be used to strip old polish and wax off of things. So you don't want to go too too heavy on it. But uh, I'd say average a teaspoon to a quart, a tablespoon per gallon, and it's going to be one of the best cleaners you've ever used.
6: Okay do you still have to put a uh, uh little bit, bit of pomallas with it uh to, no. to mix with the water
0: no not at all uh,
6: okay it won't it won't uh you know float to the top.
0: I've not had that experience. Your water might be a little different than mine, but uh um it it may form. Uh-huh a little bit of a white film on the top. If you want to add a little surfactant to it, you can, but uh I, you know, I keep a sprayer full of it and I just I'll give it a shake before I go spray, but I've I've never had it right, yeah. you know I have a real problem with separating.
6: Yeah. So the other day I so I got a uh, 15 gallon uh tank sprayer. Mm-hmm. Uh that I got on front of my zero turn and uh I got some uh, 20 cent vinegar. Uh-huh. Uh five gallons of it wow and uh you anyway, i'll put the gallon i uh, put i filled that sprayer up and uh then i put the orange oil in there and and squirted the soap
0: uh-huh. and it just
6: floated right there on top you know i had really had to get put my spurt you know nozzle in there and really mix it up good so i think next time i'll put the soap in there uh and the orange oil then add
0: the vinegar to i the think that's probably be <laughs> that'd be the better thing <laughs> to do better.
6: Okay, uh, how about use that orange oil, a uh, teaspoon or a tablespoon, whatever, uh, to uh, for for a cleaning uh, it, my walls. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, during during the uh, winter, using fireplace, it uh, it got stopped up and smoked the uh, the living oh, yeah. room uh, pretty bad. Yeah. and we've been trying to clean that off and. You know, without taking the paint plumb off of everything.
0: Well, I've never found the orange oil. If it's strong enough, it will melt plastic. But I've never had any problem with it causing any problem on the paint. And the nice thing about it too, it will replace that smoky smell with a very fresh citrusy smell. I think it'll. I think it'll work real well for odor control as well as soot control. Give it a try. You may have to scrub a little bit, but I don't think you're you're endangering your paint in any way. Yeah.
6: Okay, well, uh, yeah, and it was a uh, uh, teaspoon per quart?
0: Teaspoon and per quart or a tablespoon per gallon. But let me tell you, a gallon yeah. will go a long way. If you're uh, cleaning surfaces, yeah. a quart's probably all you're going to need. for. You're going to run out of elbow grease, as my grandmother used to call it, before you run out of cleaner.
6: <laughs> I hear you there. Okay, uh, that should Get it,
0: I guess. Very good, Appreciate Pete. Appreciate it. You get out and have a great weekend, and thank you, sir. We're going to talk to Marcelino and then Rondo and to, I'm sorry, to Wanda and then uh, Marcelino is up first. Good morning.
7: Morning, Bob. How are we doing today? Yeah,
0: just doing really, really well. Disappointed that we're not getting that great rain that they promised us a few days ago, but uh, they're real long on promises and real short on delivery on this rain issue
7: yeah i know it come quick and delivered the other day we we had about two and a half inches there in george west and yeah. it come come in strong and quick
0: well that's uh uh yeah y'all were blessed with pretty good one. i got about eight tenths of an inch and i was sure happy to have it but i'm i'm ready for some more but like my buddy alton grim used to always say every day we're one day closer to that next good rain
7: <laughs> i know you're right uh no I've got a problem with my uh i've got a valley lemon bob and, and, and uh it's right next to a grapefruit tree and the grapefruit trees just lush green but that valley lemon is kind of sparse on the leaves they're okay. not very
0: and how big a tree is your valley lemon there yeah but, i'm here you know
7: it, 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 yeah it's kind of it's kind of you know, it's missing leaves is what it looks like. It's you know, it's not but it's loaded with, with lemon. Okay. Little little lemon bulbs.
0: Well I would I would not worry too much. Uh lemons tend to lose a lot more foliage over the winter than grapefruit and oranges do the one thing i would sure do is i would get down there at the base of that tree and be sure that it is not buried be sure that root flare is exposed a lot of folks uh bury citrus too deeply because they look at that graft which is usually about four inches up the stem and the tree shouldn't be buried at graft level it should be buried not at all above the roots so i would get down there and pull that soil away from the base be sure you actually have those Roots that are coming out from the side. If you hit any of those little kind of fine, meshy roots, cut those away, but get down to where you've got that root flare exposed. But I again I'm not real concerned about a lemon tree that is low on foliage because that's that's just what I know Myers lemon does that, and I think the Ponderosa and the Eureka, I think all those other lemons do it a good deal as well. Part of it is also just that it's been such a dry winter that uh that grapefruit tree probably has its roots down three times as deeply. But all on earth I would do, I would expose the root flare and I give it uh, you know, a good little uh dose of fertilizer and be sure that you're giving it a real deep watering at least every ten days to two weeks. But uh um if it's got a fair number of lemons on it, if it's making some new foliage, I don't think this is a real serious situation. Are you there, Marcelino?
7: Yes, sir. I thought I lost you there for a minute.
0: No, no. Uh, but do do check that root flare. I think that's uh, that could be part of the problem. But uh, I lemons, at least lemons up in this area, they're just all thin on leave this year. They just haven't put on that spring growth, and that's partly just because we haven't had much rain. So I, I do. Th- three things i'd expose that root flare i would fertilize it and i would give it a thorough deep watering about every 10 days and i'd be willing to bet you a month from now you're going to be amazed at how lush it is
7: okay uh and i've, I've been wanting to air layer that that valley lemon uh that perlite it's kind of like a styrofoam looking thing
0: well now an air layering you don't use perlite. uh Perlite is like a white. It's actually a mineral. In fact, uh, the original use for perlite was not for rooting in things. It was to make lightweight concrete. But now... Uh You could root cuttings in perlite, but I think the, the air layer is a better idea. What you do with that is you take a limb or more than one limb, and what you do is cut the bark away on one side for, oh, maybe an inch-long area, and then you wrap it up with core or sphagnum moss or something like that, and wrap that up tightly with either saran wrap or aluminum foil, and you actually let it root before you cut it away from the mother plant. It takes about six weeks during warm weather, but an air layer is, in effect, a pre-rooted cutting, and um, you wouldn't be using any perlite for that.
7: Oh, okay. Well, uh, I guess I misunderstood that. I I, I remember I heard you say it about, you know, putting the cuttings in, in for perlite.
0: Yeah, now that's when we actually take a cutting off a plant and root it before we uh, pot it up. But an air layer is just sort of a pre-rooted cutting. An air layer is successful pretty much 100% of the time. But we do that while the cutting is still, in effect, while it's still on the plant. We root it before we cut it away from the mother plant.
7: Yeah, because I've tried the other way. <laughs> I, I haven't tried putting it in pearl light, uh, the cutting, but uh, I've tried uh, grafting with it like that, yeah. and, and it had not worked. I, I guess I'm off on, on my,
0: well, the you, date
7: that I should do it.
0: Yeah, look up air layering, and that will give you a new plant, uh, you know, like 99% of the time, and you're probably warm enough now that uh, you can go ahead and do that any time. Listen, okay. you get out and have a great weekend. Let me get Wanda in here before the uh, news break. Good morning, Wanda.
2: Hi, how are you this morning?
0: I'm great. How about you?
2: Fine. Say, I was trimming a rather large boxwood hedge the other day. Okay. And I noticed something inside of it, and I moved a branch to look, and there was like a inflated brown paper bag looking thing about 10 inches in diameter. Full of wasps? Yes. Now, what are what are those? Can I? I want to get rid of them, but I don't know what to. You know, if I can.
0: Well, you. It may be what they call a Mexican honey wasp, and they are not real aggressive. And um, you know, just on a cool morning, you could probably get out there and just you know, kind of trim that out. It could also be there is something they call a hornet which looks kind of like a yellow jacket, but uh, you don't see them as often. Normally, if you see that kind of a, just like a big, oh, almost softball, well, bigger than softball size, almost volleyball size, that may be what they call the Mexican honey wasp, and uh, they're not going to be very aggressive. But I tell you what, I I probably would go after them uh, with a stick and a garden hose um, um if you really want to get rid of them if if they're not bothering you i just leave them alone though it's uh they're not really causing any problems
7: they
2: do bite
0: okay well um maybe mix up a little bit of orange oil and water and on a real cool morning get out there and spray kind of break it up a little bit and spray a little bit more they're not the good guys that the paper wasps are and uh if, if they have been causing you problems, I go after them with some orange oil and water, but I'd sure do it on the coolest morning you can when they're not real active.
2: Okay, and then I noticed that around my house, I mean around my area, the knockout roses are blooming profusely. Yes. But mine just have a few uh, flowers on them, and I'm wondering if I should be putting something on them or what.
0: Are yours in full sun?
2: Yes, sir, they certainly
0: are. Then you probably need to be watering more. I find that knockout roses take twice as much water as any other rose in my garden and uh, fertilize them as well. But I think if you're having a problem with knockouts or getting too dry between waterings, feed them or water them twice as much as you do any other roses, and they'll do a lot better for you.
7: Thank you very much.
0: Always a pleasure, and good luck on those hornets. Thank you.